So it's good to have the choir back. Welcome. We missed you guys. I look, some other people came too. That's good. <laughs> nice to see everybody today. Wow, that was a powerful first part of the service. I'm still a little blown away here, so got to catch my breath a little bit. Appreciate David Denton helping us out and doing such a good job um, speaking with great feeling and everything he does. So, very well done. Uh, Last Sabbath concert with Brother Will Benton here in the afternoon was an amazing time. And uh, we appreciate him uh, doing that here, uh, putting on that, that concert in the choir. That was your kickoff for the year, singing as a part of that. Uh, but what an amazing time, yeah, it really was. <clears throat> Poor Will didn't, uh, didn't plan very well. He didn't have an encore in mind and we just wouldn't go home. So <laughs> we, I figured out what it is. We don't leave until you've played a postlude. That's just how it works. So we're totally conditioned. We can't leave till that. So, so he finally did and uh, it was a great time. Um, Oh, one other thing happened this week. All, all the, you ever feel like sometimes the really cool stuff only happens when you're gone? Um, you know, I don't go away all that often, but I was gone this week. I went on a short trip with Pastor Bernie, and we were gone uh, Wednesday night. It's the only night I'm out of town. So it's like the first time I've missed House of Prayer in like forever. And what happens? Patty, show them what happens. The Lord descends and a rainbow appears over the top of the church, you know, the the one night I'm not here. So uh, Pastor Delwyn took those pictures out there in the lot. You see the church there and isn't that neat? Yeah, I was in Chicago. So, but Pastor Steve was leading out and apparently it was good based on the pictures. So uh, that's really cool. Um, feel free to get a hold of that and put it on your Facebook page and say, look how cool our church is. Uh, Something like that. So, so thank you for seeing that and taking that picture. It's a beautiful shot. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have blessed us powerfully today. Lord, we ask that you will carry us forward now in that same spirit, that you will open our minds, because we long to understand about the God of wisdom and power. We believe that he holds the key to everything we need. Help us to see him today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so our focus for the next two Sabbaths are on what I believe is one of the most important chapters in the whole Bible. All the stuff in the Bible is good, but, but we're focused on a chapter here that I think plays a very pivotal role in the whole Bible because in this chapter, we gain for the first time a big picture view of God's purpose, not just for Israel, but God's purpose for the world. And in fact, understanding this chapter and what's contained within it is key to understanding any kind of time-based prophecy in all of the Bible. 
because, you know, we spent this summer talking about frames as doctrines as frames. They help us make sense of everything. Well, this particular prophecy is the time prophecy frame into which every other prophecy uh, related to time and related to the end and all of that, the pieces must fit inside this frame. So if you can understand this frame, then you have your starting point for any other kind of prophecy you want to continue. And what this particular prophecy tells us is that the end is certain. It's predetermined. God has already determined how it's going to go. Now, in this chapter, we get an identification of the God of wisdom and power, and then we get a grand sketch of his eternal purpose. So we're in our third week of of our series for this fall, The End is Certain. We're focusing in the book of Daniel. And today we dive into a fascinating chapter that actually has two parts to it. It's both a story and a prophecy. We begin in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. We find these words. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. Now there's some timing question related to this first verse. Exactly how does this fit in with when Nebuchadnezzar was here or there and, and when Daniel ends up there? Because in the previous chapter, Daniel ends up being taken to Babylon And he is selected to be a part of a group to be trained as wise men. And this says that in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. So all the details of the timing on it, there you can read about that. There's scholars that look at it and they take in all the different parts. But what's really important to us is this probably took place after Daniel and his friends had pretty well completed their little training session but before they had really become prominent as, as wise men for the kings. Why do I say that? Well, primarily because they're not there at the very first part of this story. And, and so we look at Daniel 2, verse 2. It says, so the king summoned the magi- magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And at this point, Daniel and his friends are not included in this, so they must not have been the A-list wise men at this point. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. Okay, two points here. The first is just a point about interacting with the king You always want to be real gracious. May the king live forever. Uh, But then the second part of that is, you know, the way this whole dreams and interpretation thing worked was pretty much down to a a science. If you were a wise man, you went in before the king and he told you a dream and and then, you know, you came up with something. And uh, if it was good and he liked it, everything worked out really well. So that was the standard approach. But we're going to have a little problem with that this time. But, but before we get to that, I want to point something else out to you that, you that you would never see in your English Bible unless you read the margin, unless you read the footnote, and that is this. Chapter 1 of the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew. The first three verses of chapter 2 are written in Hebrew, 
But then, right at the point where it says, uh, then the astrologers answered the king, right at that point, the language of the original text shifts to Aramaic. It goes from Hebrew to Aramaic, and it will remain in Aramaic until the end of chapter 7, at which point it will revert back to Hebrew for the balance of the book. Now, what is Aramaic? Well, Aramaic was a language very similar to Hebrew that was spoken in that region, and it had been spoken in the area of the Arameans. They were the ones that often went to war with, with the northern tribes of Israel. So it was, it was like Hebrew, only it was a dialect, a bit different. But in this sense, it had become very widely spoken. It was a lingua franca, if you will. It was a language that everyone knew. They, you knew your language and you knew a little bit of Aramaic. So everybody did a lot of communicating in this language Aramaic. And in fact, it would eventually become so prominent that that was the primary language being spoken by the time Jesus came and was in Jerusalem. It was Aramaic by then. So, so this little portion of, the, of, of this verse, you see this transition. Now, I believe this transition is a very important signal and clue about the book of Daniel and where we are to look for understanding on the different kinds of things and stories and prophecies in this book. Because to understand the different prophecies, we have to get ourselves into the right world context. So uh, we'll talk about this more as we go on, but let me just say this for now. For our purposes, let me suggest that the prophecies in the book of Daniel, primary in chapter two and seven, where we find it written in Aramaic, it is a clue to us that the first context in which we need to look in order to understand these prophecies is the pagan world that surrounded the Hebrew people. This is a clue to us of where we are to look. So it's the pagan world, both of Daniel's day and down to ours. But then when the prophecies shift back to Hebrew, that's a clue to us that we need to take a look more closely at Judaism and how things were done within the temple services and things like that for our clues of understanding. So chapters eight and nine, we'll look a little more closely there. Also highly significant in this transition is this implication, and that is the rule of God is not just a reign over Judah and Israel, but in fact, as we will see today, our God of wisdom and power reigns in all lands at all times. And even the pagan kingdoms achieve his purpose. It's not like God has one little people doing what he wants and well, there's nothing I can do about the rest of them. No, God is forever working out his purpose even in the pagan nations. And in fact, next Sabbath, I'll mention four pagan kingdoms in a row that did exactly what God needed them to do. But a cautionary note, if you are looking for God to always be acting according to the perceived national interest of Israel and Judah, be ready to be disappointed by the text. And as a further aside, beware of the approach to faith that assumes my interests are God's great purpose. 
the of course God wants me to be happy mentality very often leads us into justifying some pretty stupid behaviors, doesn't it? So let's not mistake my will for God's will. Let's not mistake my purpose for God's purpose. Let's not mistake a national purpose of whatever nation we are as what God cares most about. God has an eternal purpose bigger than any of us. If you're looking for God to always be acting according to the perceived national interests of Israel and Judah, be ready to be disappointed for you see, Israel being the most powerful nation on earth was never the ultimate purpose of God. There were some that got caught up in that thinking, of course our prosperity would be God's will. Well, is it? God could have easily made Israel the most powerful nation on earth. He didn't do it. All right, so what was God's great purpose if it wasn't Israel? God's great purpose was total victory in Jesus Christ. But for that to happen, there had to be a context. You see, Jesus could come and die for the sins of the world, but if nobody knows who Jesus is and what his death means, who cares? It just happens. Therefore, God established a people who would speak of a Messiah, who would look forward to a day of his coming. And God would establish his law so that people on earth could know what his law was and recognize in Jesus the fulfillment that all God had appointed. Then when he was slain for our sins, we would recognize his resurrection as a triumph. And there would be apostles who could witness the event and then go forth into all the world and to our day, believers who would carry the name of Jesus around the world, the story of Jesus, the rock cut without hands. But I'm getting ahead of myself here, aren't I? You're gonna have to wait till next week to hear about that one. Back to the text, verse four. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Okay, you could be forgiven if you're a wise man and this sounds like crazy talk to you because the king is violating the system. So they think, surely we've misunderstood him. They try once more, verse seven. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. It's very reasonable. King tells the dream, we dream up a meaning, if he likes it, we get rewarded. It's a really good system. <laughs> but not this time. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. <clears throat> All right, this is what's referred to as panic time. 
The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. There is no better setup for God's glory to be unmistakably revealed than when his people find themselves in an impossible scenario. Now, we shouldn't try, I mean, we should in fact try to make every effort to not create impossible scenarios for ourselves through foolishness. That's not what this is about. But facing the impossible after we have been faithful rather than being the worst possible thing, might just be the prelude to our greatest ever God-revealing moment. So take a lesson from Daniel. When this happens to you, don't panic, pray. Verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Okay, ironic moment. Daniel and his friends had probably only recently become wise men. And now because they've been promoted, they're gonna be killed. You think about their life, here they are living in Jerusalem and, and armies come and the city falls and it's a terrible disaster and they're taken away in chains. But then they get there and they get chosen to possibly be a part of a special group. Things are looking up. But then comes the challenge. In order to be a part of this, how much do we compromise? They take their stand, it's looking a little tough. But then God blesses and everything's looking up again and they're, they're found to be greater than all the others. And they turn around the next day and now there's a decree for them to be killed. You ever had your life kind of go like that? Going back to week one of this series, can you tell the difference between which things in your life are bad for you and which things are for your good? I'll bet you by now, Daniel pretty much given up trying to figure it out. Now, there is much of extremely practical value for all of us to learn in the next few verses. This is information that could save your life or, or could save your job if you ever find yourself unfairly condemned or endangered. Watch and learn from Daniel and his friends. Verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with what? Wisdom and tact. Is that a strategy of yours? Are those even tools we have anymore? Seems like more often what you get in this scenario is bluster, rage, and the taking of offense, right? Let me suggest if Daniel had employed those tools, he would not have lived. Because a time of crisis is a time for wisdom and tact. And don't try to excuse bad behavior and rudeness by calling it authenticity. 
Be smart. Speak wisely. Because there are people who can kill you. Verse 15. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now, we don't get exactly what he says, but my guess is that maybe it went something like this. O king, live forever. Always a good way to start. I can see you're frustrated. And I know I'm kind of a new guy around here. You know, from crazy Jerusalem, you know how they are. But would it be too much to ask that my friends and I might be given a chance at this one? We weren't with that first group. And could we have a chance at this one? And amazingly, the king grants Daniel's request. Okay, great. Now they just need to have the same dream and then interpret it. I mean, how hard can it be, right? Well, how about impossible? Impossible, that is, in human power. But that's why you don't panic, you pray. Verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So the way you pray in a tough situation like this is you go to God and plead for mercy. I don't know what they said, but I suspect again it was something like this. Lord, you see our situation. We don't really want to die right now, especially when we believe you are in this whole process that put us here. You saved us from Jerusalem and brought us into the court of the king of Babylon. Was it only for this? We are in your hands, Lord. Have mercy on us. They didn't panic. They prayed, and God answered. Verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. So don't miss this part. Don't panic, pray. But then after the answer, bring the praise. Don't just say, yeah, thanks, got it, and be off again. No, take time to praise the God who has delivered you. This is what Daniel does, and I want you to listen carefully to what Daniel says in the next four verses, for the content of this praise is, I believe, key to understanding the rest of this book because it teaches us about who God is. Daniel 2, verse 20, praise be to the name of God, to the name of God forever and ever, wisdom and power are his. That's where our sermon title comes from, the God of wisdom and power. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. 
He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Consider what Daniel is claiming here about the God of wisdom and power. He says, you change times and seasons. This is a very interesting comment because we're going to find that same phrase again a little later on in this book, only this time it'll be about someone who seeks or thinks to change times and seasons. He deposes and raises up kings. Maybe you were okay with the idea that he deposed and raised up kings in Israel and Judah, but can you expand your mind enough to believe he does it all over the earth? It's hard to understand sometimes when you see the tyrants that the earth has produced, but the right to do it is a claim God makes. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's easier to just assume that God mostly just lets things roll along and he only steps in occasionally. And I'm not sure I completely understand it all, but check this from Paul, who in his discourse to the people in Athens seems to agree not just in principle, but in detail with Daniel. Acts chapter 17, verse 24 The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone, everyone, life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. Now catch this. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. That doesn't sound like somebody who went hands off and said, let them fight it out, does it? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So you see, Paul confirms what Daniel begins to reveal, that at no point has God just been interested in a few isolated people here or there, but instead, God's mission has always been to the whole world, and he has not abandoned even one piece of this world to his enemy, even when the people in each place have wholly given themselves to the evil one. All the implications of this I don't fully understand, for I find it hard to see God's hand sometimes in world affairs. But then it wasn't easy for Daniel to see it either, as we will see as we go on in this book. But back to Daniel's words, the description of the God of wisdom and power. He changes times and seasons. He sets up and deposes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and he is where light dwells. Daniel confesses all this of God, and we should as well with him and add these words from verse 23, I thank you and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom 
and power. The God of wisdom and power gives his people wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. This is the work of the God of wisdom and power. Is he the God you serve? Or do you serve a puny God, made more in your own image than in the truth of God? It will matter, and it will be obvious because faith in a puny God will be a puny faith, and you will wash out when hard times come into your life. But faith in the God of wisdom and power will be a prevailing faith that will carry you forward in victory regardless of whether your life road is smooth or your road becomes the martyr's path. You see, victory is not based on our feebleness or on our fragility. Victory is centered in our God of wisdom and power and in Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. This is a truth that you will see for sure when we get to the end of this chapter, but we're not going to make it today. For this week, just an epilogue and then an introduction for next week. Verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. Ariok took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God of wisdom and power who rules the way of this world even when we can't perceive his hand. We may be blessed to live in days of peace, or we may come to know war and poverty. But either way, we don't have to fear because we serve the God of wisdom and power. We must beware the trap of believing our personal interest is what this God of wisdom and power is supposed to be looking after. Israel and Judah fell into this trap, believing that their ethnic and national interest was God's highest purpose. But then, God gives the great framing vision of the rest of the history of the world, not to a king of Judah, not to a king of Israel, not even to a prophet. He gives it to a pagan king. Makes you wonder if maybe a little more humility out of the, we are the people of God self-profession we make sometimes. Maybe a little humility might not be in order for us. Lest the pagans and the rocks be forced to cry out in our stead. 
If you learn nothing else from what we've seen so far today, please learn this. We serve a God of wisdom and power who rules all the affairs even in a fallen world. And we can't allow our national interest or our personal purpose or even our attempts at a religious purpose to blind us from an eternal purpose that belongs to God. It is not our purpose that must come to pass, but rather his purpose that must come to pass. And what is the purpose of our God? Nothing short of total victory in Jesus Christ. And though sometimes that purpose is hard to understand or see, still, God's purposes know no haste, and no delay. Nobody rushes God and nobody stops him. No power in heaven or upon the earth can prevent the final victory of the God of wisdom and power. But if you want to hear about how he's going to do it, you just have to come next Sabbath. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we commit ourselves today to the God of wisdom and power who will win the final victory in Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Jesus has won for us the victory at the cross, and now we await the consummation at his return. May we live the days of our lives not focused singly on our selfish purposes, but rather focused on the purposes of the God of wisdom and power. Teach us to see your hand, but even more than that, enable us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.